Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Epiphany Brooklyn, what is going on? It is Stephen Chandler here. I am pumped. I'm excited. I get to bring the word of God to you today. And it's just going to be amazing to, hey, go ahead, jump in that chat. Tell somebody, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. God has something great in store for me. Hey, if we've never met each other before, you may not know this, but we're family already. You love me already. I am so grateful to be able to invest into this house. And I just want to take a moment and honor the amazing pastors that you have. And Pastor Brandon and Ty, I'm telling you, you are a gifted church and God has blessed you with phenomenal leaders. I'm telling you, not every church is as blessed as you are to have a man and woman of God who love God, who live with integrity, who have a passion for you, fulfilling all that God has called you to fulfill. So wherever you find yourself, put your hands together, even if in your house by yourself, type it in the chat. Thank God for the pastor's that God has given you. Well, hey, go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, Joshua chapter one. I have a word from the Lord for you today. As you turn there, I just want to show you my beautiful family. I'm sure your family is beautiful. Uh, it's just not as beautiful as mine. I don't know what to tell you. They're going to throw up a picture. Look at, oh, come on now. That's God right there. Sitting next to me is my beautiful wife. I'll call her my African queen. Her name is Zai uh, Chandler. And then sitting on my lap is my beautiful baby girl, my firstborn. Her name is Zoe. Her rapper name is Zozo. And then sitting on my wife's lap is Roman. He is my twin. His rapper name is Roro. And in that picture, my wife was actually pregnant, y'all. We have a baby girl, our third. Her name is Jade. They're going to throw that picture up. So hear me. If you see bags under my eyes, if I kind of just trail off in the middle of the message, just understand it's because I have not had sleep in like 14 days. I don't even remember what sleep feels like, so pray for a brother. But we're going to jump into God's word today. Joshua chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And it reads this. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness, and this is Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I won't leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper. Somebody say prosper. Come on, type in the chat. Prosper wherever you go. Hey, let's pray. 
Father God, we are grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity, God, to be in your presence, to be gathered, God, all over this city, all over this nation with a passion for knowing you more. God, we pray in this moment that you would speak to us, God. And we're preemptively making the decision that when you speak, we will obey. We're grateful. We're thankful. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Well, I'm pumped. I have the privilege of not only being with you today, but actually being with you over the next four weeks. I'm going to be preaching a series called Crossing Over, and your pastor uh, is actually on sabbatical, getting some rest and hearing from the Lord. And I just want to kind of warn you of what kind of pastor you need to be get ready for when he returns. It's dangerous when a pastor gets away, gets some rest, and gets with God because he's coming back with vision. He's coming back with passion. He's coming back ready. Ready to take this city. And I'm just telling you, staff, leaders, church, get ready, get ready, get ready, because God is getting ready to do something, not only through your pastor, but through your church in these coming weeks that is going to blow your mind. I want to preach over these four weeks a series called Crossing Over, Crossing Over, and obviously taken from this text of the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan into the promise that God has for them. But I kind of prophetically want to just throw something at you real quick before we jump into this message. I believe the church of Jesus Christ, and specifically Epiphany here in Brooklyn, you are getting ready to cross over into a season of the promises of God being fulfilled in your life. How? How can you say that? How do you know this? Well, here's what I do know. 2020 was uh, fill in the blank. It was a tough year. It was a rough year. It was a long year. Maybe there were some good things that happened. Maybe you got a promotion or you're able to reconnect with family or whatever it may be. But for so many people, 2020 was a year where so much of our lives were just hindered, was just put on pause. I was just talking to somebody and I was saying 2020 was so long. 2019 feels like 10 years ago. Like, I can't remember where I went on vacation in 2019. I can't remember much of anything because it's just like those 12 months and it's like it hasn't even ended. It's kind of just lingering on. This is 2021 and it still feels like 2020. But here's what I know. That 2020 was a year where the enemy hindered what God was doing in the church. Now, you got it? Ah, I, don't, I, don't, I feel it already. Don't get, get, get too caught up on that or whatever it may be. Here's what you have to understand, that sometimes God allows the enemy to step in and to hinder. He's using him to teach us lessons and to mature us and all that. But if you study the book of Job, God always has this approach where he says, okay, enemy, you give it your best shot. You see if you can get them to curse me, if you can get them to to abandon me or whatever it may be. And when you're done, I'm going to show you what the hand of God looks like. As you look at the book of Job, the enemy took his best shot. And then on the other side of that, God blessed Job double for all of his trouble. And here's what I believe. These last 18 months or so has been the enemy taking his best shot on the kingdom of God, on the people of God. And on the other side of that, we are going to see double for our trouble. We're going to see the hand of God open doors. We're going to see the hand of God bring souls into the kingdom, bring revival like we never thought possible. Let me say it a different way. Uh, We ain't going back to 2019. (laughs) 
Whenever all this kind of drama, and I know we're kind of at the end of it. Some of y'all are like, I'm out the pandemic. I don't even believe in the pandemic. I got time for it. Some of y'all, you you got masks on your eyeballs, on your ankles, on your knees. You're just like, I'm not going outside. Wherever you may find yourself, on the other side of this season, we will not be repeating 2019. We're not going back to the things that used to be. Not that not some things won't be the same, but we're stepping into a new reality. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a reality filled with the promises of God. And I think my assignment is to prepare you for what you're getting ready to cross into. What you're getting ready to cross into as a church, as a family, as a marriage, as your business, as your career, as a parent. You are getting ready to step into new promises that God has had for you your entire life. So today, I want to start us off on that journey. I was thinking about this passage that we read. God came to Joshua and he said, hey, it is time for you to cross over. No more waiting. It is time to go in. I don't know uh, how you do with waiting. Uh, It's just not my spiritual gift. I don't know if waiting is a spiritual gift. I know they talk about patience is a fruit of the spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just don't got much patience. I'm just one of those guys where I want everything done by yesterday. If I'm in Walmart or if I'm in Target, I'm one of those guys. I'm going to take 30 minutes roaming around the store trying to find the one place that has no line at the check register. I'm going into sporting goods. I'm going to electronics. I'm going, I'd spend more time looking for a line with no people than if I had just stood in the line with people and just waited my turn, but I can't stand waiting. I can't imagine being the people of Israel who weren't waiting two weeks. They weren't waiting two months. They weren't even like us waiting 18 months for things to go back to normal. They were waiting for 40 years for the promise that God had made them to come to pay. Can you imagine? Listen, this is just me. You can, you, can, you can call it whatever you want. If somebody made me a promise and it took 40 years for that promise to come to pass, I'm sorry. I'm questioning whether that promise maker was able to fulfill the promise that they had. Maybe you find yourself in that situation where God promised you something. He promised you that his peace would guard your heart and guard your mind. He promised you that your gifts would open doors for you and make room for you or whatever it may be. And it's been so long, you're just like, I don't know if this promise is ever going to come to pass. To add to their frustration, not only were they waiting for 40 years to step into all that God had promised them, but they were waiting for 40 years on a journey that should have only taken two weeks. The walk from Egypt to Canaan, the land that God had promised them, was a two-week journey. You add to the fact many theologians believe that there was about 3 million people that were on that journey. If you think about women and children, the elderly, maybe it wasn't, you know, a brisk walk. Maybe it took a little bit longer than two weeks, maybe four weeks at max. They shouldn't have been longer than four weeks, but it wasn't four weeks. They were waiting for over 40 years. Can I mess with you even more? Not only were they waiting for 40 years, but the walk from Egypt to the edge of Canaan only took them a little bit over two years. So for close to 37 and a half years, they were on the edge of the Jordan, looking at the promise, but not yet able to step into all that God has for them. Pastor Brandon last week was talking about being frustrated with God and feeling like he's behind or not coming through when we want him to come through. Hear me. There are seasons in our life where we are waiting and we're like, what in the world is taking so long? 
I can almost touch the promise. I just can't get there. And as I was thinking about this, the the thought just crossed my mind. What was God waiting for? I mean, here they were, they were on the edge. They were so close to all that God had for them. And yet they weren't able to step into the breakthrough. What was it that God was waiting for before they were allowed to step into the promise that he had for us? And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter one, verse two, here's here's what happened so the wait could come to an end. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise go over. I, I, I don't know if you love your word. I, I, I'm assuming because you're a member here at Epiphany that you love God's word. I know the reason I love God's word is because God's word is just savage. Like there are certain things in scripture like, wait, did he just say what I think he said? Watch this. God was waiting for Moses to die before he can step in and peak, bring the people into the promise that he had for them. I have a word. It's going to be a little bit harsh, a little bit savage. There are certain things that God is waiting to die in our lives before we can step into the promise that he has for us. God says the promise is there. The promise is secure. There's so much that I have for you, but there are certain things that are alive in your heart, in your mind, and until they die, you can't cross over. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 65, it says this, for the Lord said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Here's what God said. He said, you can go in, but not until they die. Now, just so I don't get too crazy, you're like, oh, Pastor, I'm just waiting for people to die in my life, and then I could go in. No, no, no. It's not people that God's waiting to die. It's mindsets. It's assumptions. It's ideologies, it, it's thought patterns, it's actions. There, there's certain things that God says, I want to take you into all that I have for you, the marriage that I have for you, the faith that I have for you, the finances, the ministry that I have for you. But if there's certain mindsets that don't die, if there's certain beliefs that don't die, if there's certain actions that don't die on this side of the promise, if you take it into the, ah, I'm getting myself in trouble. There are certain mindsets of being single that if it doesn't die before you get married, it will contaminate the marriage that you prayed to God for. There are certain mindsets of being an employee that has to die before you can start your business. And if it doesn't die before you cross over to being a business owner, it will actually contaminate the promise that God has for you. Hear me. God says the promise is there. And here's what frustrates me sometimes. I'm frustrated with God because I'm waiting on him. And God says, you're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to eradicate some things for your life. Not, 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 not because it offends me, not because it disgusts me, but because it's going to contaminate the answer to the prayer that you've actually asked for. I'm telling you, 
We're getting ready to cross into a season as the global church, as the local church of revival that we have never seen in our generation. God is getting ready to do stuff in our lives. And hear me, when I say church, I'm not talking about four walls. You are the church. God is getting ready to do great things in your life. But before he can, before we cross over, there are certain things that must die. Can I give you a couple thoughts? Here's some things that must die. Here's the first one. Um, Complaining must die. If we're going to step into all that God has for us, there is a mindset, a, a verbiage, a spirit of complaining, of seeing the glass half empty, of always pulling out the negatives that's going to have to die. In Numbers 14, 29, it says this, the carcasses of you who have complained against me, catch that phrase, complain against me, shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years older and above. Here's what God said. He said, I can't let those of you that complain the entire way, I can't let you cross over into the promise. If we're going to step in to the breakthrough that God has for us, complaining must die. Here's why. Complaining contaminates the promises of God. I I know we don't believe in the power of our tongue as much as God believes in the power of our tongue, but the Bible says life and death is in the power of our tongue. So we may not realize this, but when we complain, when we belittle, when we bemoan, when we look at the, the emptiness instead of the fullness of what we're experiencing, it actually undermines what God is getting ready to do in our lives. As you look throughout scripture, I think about John when his wife became pregnant. The Bible says that an angel struck him mute because the angel said it is so much better for you to say nothing than for you to say words that's canceling out what God is looking to do in your life. Now, one of, um, one of my deals is, is I've always just kind of been a sarcastic uh, type of person. I, I know it's not necessarily the best thing or the godliest thing. Sometimes it's hilarious, but I just got, I'm just, I'm just shady. I don't know what to tell you. I just always have something random to say. I, hopefully it's sanctified now and I'm a little bit more like Christ. But I remember back in the day, my words were just cutting like, I always had something ignorant to say. I always had something sarcastic to say. And I remember in college, one of my friends pulled me aside and said, Stephen, you're actually losing friends because your words are so harsh. You're, you always have something cutting to say. And that, for me, was a moment in my life where I could tangibly see how my negative words were canceling what I was praying and believing God for, relationships or connections or whatever it may be. Here's the thing. Our words have the ability to cancel our prayers. The exact thing we're praying for, our words can cancel them. Now, For so many of us, we're just like, I'm not complaining about God. I'm complaining about my husband. He he never cleans up after himself. I'm complaining about my wife or my kids or my boss or whatever it may be. Here's the thing. We may not think that we're complaining about God. We're just complaining about our situation. But is God not in control of this situation? And without even realizing it, by complaining about that situation, we're actually complaining about God's lack of involvement in our lives. If we're going to cross over, complaining has to die. By the way, one of the reasons why complaining is so prevalent in our lives 
is because we have amnesia. You see, as Israel was marching around in the wilderness, said, Moses, did you really bring us out here to die? You should have left us in Egypt where we had meat and leeks and all this other kind of stuff. Here's what I've discovered. When we romanticize the past, when we make past to be what it was not, it's amazing how we're in one situation, in one job, and we start romanticizing the job that we quit and left. If it was that great, you wouldn't have quit. You wouldn't have left. We start romantic. Man, I remember the old neighbor. Remember the good old days? I don't know about you, but my good old days weren't that good. I was broke. I I don't want to go back to those good old days. Hear me. If we're going to have hearts that aren't complaining, we can't romanticize where God brought us from. Maybe even get this mindset. It's better to say nothing than to undermine what God is doing in our lives. Here's another thing that must die. Distractions must die. Another reason is why God wouldn't allow that generation of Israel to go into the promised land. He said, hey, I want to meet with all of you. Come up on this mountain. I want to meet with you face to face. And Israel said, no, 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 no. Let Moses go up. We'll stay down here. And as they were down waiting for Moses, he took so long. Y'all, they got bored. They said, we've been waiting on God so long. Let's do something. And you may know the story. They gathered all the gold in the camp and they made a golden calf and they started worshiping this idol. And they said, hey, this is the idol that brought us out of Egypt that saved us. And they partied and all that other good stuff. They got distracted. One of the things that has to die before we cross into all that God has for us is there's distractions. There's things in our lives that are pulled our attention off of what God has promised us. And God says, until you're focused, until you're locked in on what I've called you to do, what I've called you to build, I can't cross you over into what I have for you. It's amazing to me how and oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Can I, I, I can talk about you. You, you. you can't touch me through the screen. I'm good. It's amazing how we're believing for God to bring breakthrough in our marriage, in our finances, in a relationship with a family member that's a strain, in our ministry or whatever it may be. But if you would track your prayer life, if you would track the investment of your time or whatever, it's amazing how so often the amount of prayer, the amount of time and focus is not directed on the breakthrough that we're believing God for. It's directed on something else. And I get it. It's easier to put our energy in a place where we're getting results from. But the place where we're getting results from is not necessarily the place where we're asking God for the breakthrough. Since um, I'll be with you for a few weeks, and, 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 and you guys already love me already. Just come on, tell me, I love this guy. I don't know if I love this guy. Trust me, love me. Can, can I just tell you a thing I'm scared about for the church today? My concern is that we've spent so much time online for good reasons, safety and all that. But we've been distracted from the value of gathering together in the presence of God with the people of God. And because we've been kind of distracted, ah, I could just say it, we've set up other idols in our lives that have taken that time. Idols like kids, soccer, catching up on some extra work, doing this, doing that, or whatever it may be. And I know that we're not gathering in person yet, and, and, and that's coming, and we've been gathering outside and all that. But my concern is that when it comes back to the time where we can gather around as people pursuing God, that so much of the church across this nation and world would have lost value in gathering together, as the scripture says, we're not to neglect. All because we've been 
distracted. Another thing that must die is faithlessness. It says that they got to the edge of the promise. Two and a half years of walking through the wilderness. They get to the edge of the promise. You may know the story. They send spies and they said, hey, go check out and see all the promise that God has for us. And as they went into the promise, they came back with a bad report. They sent 12 spies in, 10 came back, and they said, hey, there's no way we can take that. It's the wrong promise. There's giants in there. They went in, and they saw all the impossibilities of why that promise couldn't come to pass instead of seeing the possibilities of who their God was. So here it is. God says, I have a promise. The promise is not going anywhere. But until complaining dies... Until distractions die, until faithlessness dies, you're going to sit right there waiting and looking at something you may never be able to do. Here's my prayer. My prayer for myself, my prayer for you, my prayer for Epiphany Church is that we would take hold of all that God has for us here on earth. My prayer is that I wouldn't be in a position where I'm marching around the same situation for 40 years, where I'm lingering around close to what God has for me, but never able to take hold of it. And here's my question, God, what what has to die in, in, in me so that I can step in, so that I can cross over into all that you have for me? Hey, as we close, I just want to give you three, three quick thoughts. How, how, how do I bring to death those things that are keeping me from stepping into all that God has for me? Hear me. In order for complaining to die, write this down, joy must live. If complaining is going to die, joy must live. Here's where complaining comes from. Complaining comes from a contaminated heart. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now, here's what always happens when we read scripture. We hear words like good and we hear words like evil. We automatically put ourselves in the category of good. So anything it says about evil, we don't even hear. I'm not evil. I'm blood washed. I'm washing the blood of Jesus on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Okay, okay, I get it. I get it. You're a follower of God. You're righteous. You're not evil. Can I change that verse up for you a little bit? A complaining man out of the complaining of his heart brings forth complaints. A sarcastic man out of the sarcasm. Listen, it doesn't matter if the word's good, evil, complaining, sarcasm, faith, mercy, whatever. Here's the point of the verse. What's ever in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. And I discovered even those seasons where sarcasm was my language, there was sarcasm out of my mouth because there was sarcasm in my heart. If we don't allow God to heal our hearts. Heal our hearts of disappointment. Heal our hearts of pain. Heal our hearts of setback. Whatever it may be, if our heart doesn't get healed, our, our, our words will not be words of faith. Our words won't be words of joy. Our words won't be words of God's promises. Our words are going to be words that undermine the promise that God has for us. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, there was a situation where an entire city was actually dying because their water source had been contaminated. 
says this in verse 19, then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant as more Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. He said, everything is good, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. Can I preach for half a second? I know I've been preaching for like an hour, but let me just say this. Everything in your life could be good, but if your heart's bad, you're in trouble. If you have a great marriage, you have great finances, you have great faith, but your heart's bad. It's only a matter of time where the overflow of your heart begins to contaminate everything in your life. He said this, said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. Here's my prayer so that my words don't cancel the promise that God has for me. God, will you heal my heart so that out of my heart comes your promises, comes joy, comes purpose. Doesn't come complaining and sarcasm and, and canceling and seeing impossibilities. And hear me, here's how God heals our heart through his word. The Bible says in Psalm that, that he sent his word to heal them. It's God's word that, that transforms our heart, that, that turns our heart from not being a, a response to all the negativity and all the pain and all the setback we've been through, but transforms our heart to say, man, God's promises are yes and amen in my life. And Psalm 119, it says, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Notice it didn't say God's word have I read. It says, God's word have I valued, have I treasured. I need a heart that I value the word of God, the promises of God, the peace of God above anything else in my life. Hear me, in order for complaining to die, joy must live. In order for distractions to die, passion must live. Write that down. Passion must live. Here's what happened. God came to the children of Israel and said, hey, may, meet me on this mountain. I want to meet with you face to face. And here's what Israel said. No, we don't want to meet with you face to face. We, we, we don't know what you're going to do to us. We're afraid. So let's send Moses up there and let him hear from God. And, and, and when he's heard from God, he can come back and tell us what you said. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says this. Now all the people, they witnessed the thunder, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people, here's the phrase, they stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So God actually did not want to meet Moses by himself. Maybe you've seen the, the Ten Commandments movie or you kind of just have this picture in your mind of that season in Scripture where Moses went up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and received the Ten Commandments and, and he saw the train of God's glory and it was just an amazing moment that Moses had. Watch this, God never designed Moses to have that moment by himself. God wanted the entire nation to come up on that mountain. He wanted to meet with them face to face. 
But when they saw the thunder, when they saw the lightning, when they saw the smoke, they said, hey, that's dangerous. I want no part of that. Moses, you go up there and tell me what God said. I don't want to go up there for myself. And here's why. Because before their encounter with God, the only God that they had ever encountered was Pharaoh. You see, back when they were in slavery, Pharaoh told them that he was God. And the only God they had ever encountered up to that moment, Pharaoh, was a God that manipulated them, that caused them pain and anguish, and that forced them to build something that they had no desire to build. So they said, hey, if the God that we knew in Egypt is anything like this God that wants to meet us on this mountain, we want no part of it. Here's the problem. There's so many people that have a misconception of who God Almighty is, so you're standing a far way off. You've believed the lie of the enemy that God just wants you to live holy. God just wants you to be restricted. God just wants you to make him look good. When God said, no, I came that you may have life and have life more abundantly. I came that you can walk in a marriage that reflects the glory of God, that your finances could be so much that you could be generous on every single occasion, that you can leave an impact here on earth. I'm a good God, not some austere master. And here we are in a situation thousands of years later where whether online or in church buildings across the world, there's people of God that tell their pastor, hey, you go up and you hear from God and then you come back and tell us what God said. Hear me. It's not my job. It's not Pastor Brandon's job. It's no pastor's job to hear from God for you. It's our job to teach you how to hear from God for yourself because you have a God, a heavenly father that desires to meet with you face to face. But when we find ourselves standing on the outside, I'm I'm saved enough. If I were to die, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. As opposed to leaning into God with passion, with hunger, with desperation. God, what is it that you desire to say to me? Hear me. Where there is no passion, there will always be distraction. The last thing is this. In order for faithlessness to die, praise must live. If we're going to be a people that don't live based on what we see, but we live based on what God says. If we're going to be a people that we don't predict what our financial future is going to look like based on what the economy says or the housing market says or the financial market says, but based on what God's word says, which is I've never seen the righteousness forsaken nor their children begging for bread. If we're going to be a church that's believing about our effectiveness in this city, not based on what, you know, some news article or what survey said, America's a post-Christian society, nobody wants God anymore or whatever, but we believe it based on what God's word says and that we have the light of the world, we have the salt of the world, we have the hope that this world is dying for. If we're going to be a people that walk by faith, we're going to have to be a people that live with an attitude of praise. You see, praise is not just a song. Praise is not just an action or word. Praise is a mindset where I'm going to focus on the past victories that God has brought in my life. I'm not going to focus on the present problems. See, one of the reasons why Israel was struggling with their faith is because they had forgotten the God that had already brought them out of Egypt. 
They had forgotten the fact that God had already done a supernatural miracle in their life. And because he did it before, he can absolutely do it again. So many of us, we get so focused on our current problem that we miss the fact that this ain't the first problem we face. And this isn't the first moment that God has rescued us from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12, Chronicles, sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12, this is this. It says, study God and his strength. Seek his presence day and night. Remember all the wonders. It says, remember how strong your God is. Remember the wonders he performed, the miracles and the judgments that came out of his mouth. Psalm 78.5 says this, he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generations to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise, declare to them, to their, their children, that they may set their hope in God. And watch this, and don't forget the works of God, but keep his commands. It may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set their heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Hear me. When I remind myself, man, this is not the first season that I faced that I didn't know what three months from now would look like. Man, this isn't the first time that I was in over my head and I needed God to come in in a great way. One of the things I've discovered about the miracles of God is miracles are so seamless to God, they can actually be missed by us. But if you think about what the biggest problem in your life two years ago was and how God so rectified it, you even forgot that it was a problem. Do you really think the problem in front of you is that big? Maybe some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm sorry, this is a great message and I need to live by praise, but... If I'd be honest with you, I can't say that I have a miracle, a tangible miracle that I can point to. Hey, God did that for me. And because he did that for me, I know he can do this. Can I give you the greatest miracle you can ever encounter with God? That's the miracle of salvation. The fact that all of our actions were leading us to one destination, and that was an eternity separated from God. But the fact that that God so loved us that he sent his only son and said, hey, I don't want your actions to lead you to where you should go. So I'm going to take your sin, your mistakes on my life. I'm going to hang on a cross, lay down my life and pick it back up three days ago so that you can live a life of hope. Here's what I've discovered. When I forget the power of my salvation, it's very easy for me to become faithless. It's very easy for me to look at the biggest problem in front of me and say, there's no way that this can work out. But when I realize that God has already fixed the biggest problem I could ever face in my life, and that's my separation from him, that I realize, man, there's nothing that my God can't do. Here's my prayer for you, that if you're a follower of God, that he would restore your joy of salvation, that he would remind you how lost you were and how saved you are right now that it would stir a faith in you that if he can do that, if he could bring me from that, there's nothing that he can't do. Maybe you're watching, you say, Pastor, I can't say that I've ever had that encounter with God. I can't say that God has brought me from a place of separation, a place of depression or anxiety or just not knowing who he was in me. But I would desire that in my life. Maybe you're there today, you're saying, man, I need a relationship with God the way that you're talking about. Hear me, it'd be my greatest privilege, my greatest honor to introduce you to a God 
that loves you more than you could ever love yourself. Wherever you find yourself, if that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Not to me, but to a God that never stopped listening to you and is simply waiting for you to take one step towards him. Say, Father God, thank you. Thank you for seeing me, for loving me, for wanting me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, right now, I invite you into my life. I surrender all that I am to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Epiphany, I love you. Come on, can we worship God together? Let's worship.